How's it going, everyone? Welcome to episode 103 of Trail Tales. My name is Kyle Grady. I am a through hiker. I am a peak bagger. I am a huge hiking nerd, as you all know. And uh, this is going to be a very important episode of Trail Tales. A man named Doug Layer is on the show. Some of you might be familiar with uh, Doug because he's been a guest on many of the other uh, well-known hiking podcasts. And the reason that is the case is because Doug is telling the story of his son Trevor, who unfortunately passed away on a PCT through hike attempt this uh, past March. And like I said, you you might have heard about this. It's been all over social media um, due to Doug's efforts to really get his son's story out there and to highlight the things that we can all learn from it. And just for the record, it's not just things that PCT hikers can learn. These are things that every hiker can learn. So we we go through uh, Trevor's story in this episode, and then we spend quite a bit of time talking about, yeah, what could have been done differently and some of Doug's tips for uh, staying safe while you're on the trail. So it was a great privilege to have this conversation uh, with Doug. He's doing some amazing, amazing things. It should go without saying that it's not easy to talk about these things uh and he's doing it anyway because he really really cares about helping folks so it was a privilege to talk to him i am very very thankful that i had the opportunity and i think you guys are gonna like this one i'm gonna i'm gonna end the intro here uh let's get into it episode number 103 with doug layer Here we go. Uh, this is going to be a very special episode of Trail Tales, and I'm not going to lie, it's going to be a little bit different. Um, those of you that listen to the show on a regular basis and certainly watch my ridiculous YouTube videos know that I'm not always the most serious person. Uh, that's just kind of who I am. However, this is going to be a lot more of a serious episode, um, as you probably found out from the introduction. And uh, I just want to say real quick, uh, bear with me, folks, because I'm going to do my best, but uh, it's not a little bit, not a little bit, it's definitely outside of my comfort zone. Um, but I think it's a, a really, really good thing, and I think it's it's going to be a great episode. And a good reminder for everybody, uh, not just those who are hiking on the PCT, but everybody hiking everywhere, it's going to be a good reminder for myself, honestly, um, because... It doesn't matter how much experience you have. Um, sometimes uh, things can go wrong, and it's 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 always good to just uh, to be level-headed out there. I'd like to introduce this week's guest, a man named Doug Lair. Doug, thank you so much for reaching out. Um, thank you for taking the time to come on here and uh, and educate myself and the people listening about um, Trevor, his legacy, all the things that we can learn um, from that tragic situation so yeah thank you doug so much um it's it's a it's a pleasure to talk to you hey likewise kyle i i cannot uh, thank you enough for allowing me to share this message um since trevor's accident um helping hikers and sharing safe uh travels on their through hike it is uh what gets mm-hmm. me out of bed these days it's what gives my life purpose and and I'm grateful you've given me the opportunity to be on your show. Thank of you. Of course, of course. Um, before we get into it, I guess I'll just say I need to make a very 
public apology to Doug because my my scheduling was just awful for this episode. I mean, I'm I'm not exactly known as the the easiest person to schedule <laughs> with, but um I was exceptionally bad in this case. So uh Doug, thank you for bearing with me. Um I think that obviously just speaks to the passion that you have to to share Trevor's story and, and to and to help hikers as you just said there. So um I'm really sorry about being so hard to work with here, but I'm I'm glad we're finally doing it. I'm very glad we're finally doing it. No apologies necessary. If the timing works out, uh, this should be coming out hopefully right about the time that uh, people are heavy into their planning for their through hike or just getting ready to start and the message will be fresh mm, in their mind. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I think the best way to just start here is to 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 have you tell the story. Um, I guess before we do that, actually, well, I, I was going to have you introduce yourself. It's a little bit different because usually I'm interviewing the person who's you know, done the hikes that we're talking about. Um, so yeah, why don't you just introduce yourself and then we can kind of get into, uh, Trevor's story and, um, you know, we'll kind of go from there. Does that sound good? Hey, no problem. So my name is Doug Lair. I am a hiker. I am not a through hiker. Um, I love getting out and, uh, and, and pushing myself to limits, but Primarily because of my career and the age at which I got started into hiking, it's just um, uh, it's not something that I that I do. But it was something that that my son Trevor did, and something that he fell in love with. So I think it's important, uh, Kyle, for you and your listeners to to kind of know and understand and appreciate. We grew up. I grew up in Ohio. Uh, Trevor spent uh, the first ten years of his life growing up in Ohio, and and while there's you know, there's some decent trails there. There's there's no mountains. There's for the most part, it's it's fairly flat, and so hiking was just not a part of our lives growing up. And then when we moved to Texas, probably the flattest state in the country, um, there was certainly no uh, hiking in our plans uh, at that time. Mm-hmm. But in 2016, Trevor had an opportunity to go to Yosemite National Park with a buddy of his in the summer after his graduation. And they, he and his buddy and his buddy's dad, uh, day hiked. They did probably 50 miles over three days. And Trevor came back in absolute love with hiking. The best way that I describe it is that he left for Yosemite, seeing the world in black and white, and came home seeing it in full fi- vibrant cover- colors. And um, and that is what what that's what uh, his 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 life changed dramatically and hiking became a staple of it. He, after upon graduation um, from high school, he went to Ohio State. He joined the trekking club there. He did trips uh, up to the White Mountains. He did the presidential traverse. He, every semester, he would make multiple trips uh, down to the Smoky Mountains and do some section hikes down there, some of uh, which were on the, uh, the Appalachian Trail um did that with his with his buddy Chandler uh and when he would come home on the weekends that was our time to spend together and we would we would do day hikes together locally and um uh he did big bend we bit we did big bend together um we did we did a lot of local hiking we did Eagle Rock Loop up in the in the Washita National Forest uh and I I didn't realize it at the time 
Um, well, I think I did realize it at the time. It was more about me spending time with my son than it was my love for right, him. Right, right. That has since changed, by the way. Um, but fast forward about three years, he decided that uh, one day he was gonna. He called me up on the phone. He said, "Dad, I got great news. I am graduating from school in three and a half years, uh, a whole semester early. I'm going to kill myself over the next year to do so." And I said, "Great." And he said, but the uh, the only catch is, is that I'm graduating early so I can hike the PCT. And there was a lot of consternation between the two of us. I did not think that that was a smart thing for him to do. Um, you know, my definition of the, the white picket fence type thing for him was to get a job, start paying off student loans, climb up the corporate ladder. And uh, but that's not what his definition was. And it took me a while to realize that. But uh Fast forward to March 16th, 2020, he started off um, at the southern terminus of the PCT in Kempo, and uh, it was the happiest day of his life. Uh, and quite frankly, I had done a complete 80. It was one of my happy, the happiest days of my life mm -hmm. as well. The only thing that uh, caused some concern is that um, the COVID-19 virus was just starting to right, rear its ugly and I was starting to get a little bit nervous about that, but he started totally happy. I was probably happier for him than he was for himself. It was great. And then everything um, went to hell in a handbasket two days later when Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, put uh, did a shelter-in-place order for the state of California. Mm -hmm. And I guess... What does that exactly entail for Trevor then? Because, I mean, I feel like, I mean, first of all, I feel like most people didn't really have a clue what was going on at this point. Um, but uh, how did that kind of change the dynamic of his hike that early in or that? Uh, yeah, that that, um, you know, so shortly after he he left Campo. Yeah, so he was only two days in and when the order came through from the governor, <clears throat> of course, I. I vaguely heard of the term shelter in place, but didn't really know what it actually meant. In my mind, shelter in place meant, you know, martial law. If you leave your house, you will be arrested. That's kind of what I would, that's where my brain would go to. I mean, to be fair, so. Sure. And so he, um, let's see, it was day three, I think. Uh, he made it to Mount Laguna. They were snowed in. And I called him and he and about seven or eight other hikers said, had um, hunkered down in a small little tiny house in uh, Mount Laguna. They have a, a little campus of all these tiny houses that you can rent, uh, Airbnbs. And I, I called him on the phone and we had a, a short conversation and I told him, it's, it's, it's time, you gotta get off. The, the world is starting to fall mm -hmm. apart. I'm watching it on the news 24 seven. And because my job had a lot to do with what was going on in the world at the time, it was my job to watch the news 24-7. And I said, Trevor, you got to get off. And he did not, he would, he refused, you can probably appreciate this. He was in a group of seven or eight other hikers and he was basically like, Dad, I am not having this conversation mm -hmm. with you right now. Essentially hung up with me. And every time I would try to call him back, he, he would send me to voicemail. Mm -hmm. And uh, he just didn't want to have that conversation in front of um, of his new trail family <laughs> that he had just formed. Um, and so for the next few days, um, 
So he had left Mount Laguna and started heading towards Julian at Scissors Crossing, which is at mile marker 77. So he had almost 40 miles uh, between um, Mount Laguna and Julian, and I was riding him every day, multiple times per day. You got to get off. You got to get off. You got to get off. Do it for me. Do it for your mom. Do it for your sister. Do it for your for your girlfriend, Elise. Uh, you're being selfish. And he just kept saying, Dad, you, you just don't get it. If I do this now, if I come off now, I will never get a chance to do this trail again. And he said, the beauty that I am seeing out here is greater than anything that I've ever seen back home or in the Smokies. It's just nothing that you can compare it to. <clears throat> I said, I don't care. The trail will be there for you a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now. You got to get off. And um, for a one hour period of time, about four days in, four or five days in, he said, fine, I'll get off trail. And so the, the deal was, is my parents live in Phoenix, about a five hour drive from them, much closer than, than right. I am in, in Dallas. And so the plan was, is that if he needed to bail or get off or whatever the case was, that my parents would go pick him up. But I was fearful that if they drove across the state line, that they're going to be arrested. Mm -hmm. Right. So I'm also I'm trying to make these plans. We've got to go. We've got to go. Let's get you off. And so the plan was that we were going to get him off at uh, Scissors Crossing uh, near Julian. And within an hour, he called me back and he said, I've changed my mind. I'm not moving. I'm not going. Um, and what I think happened, I don't know this for certain, but what I think happened is that his trail family got together. They all put their nose in all their phones. They were going to all the different websites, going to the PCTA website, reading all the posts in this, you know, on Facebook and things of that nature. And then they ran into a, a British hiker by the name of Russ Hepton. He goes by the na trail name of the of Trail Hunter. And I think they all put their heads together and they said, it is not illegal for us to be out here. And one thing that you have to understand is that uh, I think three or four out of the five uh, people that were in his tramway were all uh, international hikers. Mm -hmm. So they felt they had nowhere to yeah. go. So with nowhere else to go, it's going to be best for, for, for us to just stay out on trail. It's going to be the safest place we can be. So he called me back an, an hour later and he said, I'm changing my mind. I'm not going anywhere. And I bought blew my, my gasket, told him we were, I was going to pull his uh, funding for him being out on trail and that made it back to my wife, who wanted to support him in everything he did. And so we realized that he basically had a gun to my head. He's 2,000 miles away. There's nothing that I could do. He's out in the middle of nowhere. He was not coming off trail. No matter what I did, I wasn't going to change his mind. So I just decided that if that's the case, while I don't agree with his decision making, and we, we will deal with that at a later time, I needed to make sure that uh, I resupplied him as best I could. We both acknowledged that he was gonna have to do long food carries, you know, much, much longer than what he would have anticipated. Right, right. We, he was not going to go in into towns to potentially spread a virus. And so that was our plan. That's crazy. Um, okay, so how soon after you finally kind of, I guess it sounds like very hesitantly accepted that there was nothing you could do to um get him off i guess um how long after that did uh did 
did things kind of take a turn for the worse? Sure. So um, it was probably about day five or six um, that we we really started getting into it. Probably day eight that I came to grips with it. Um, and um, day 10 came along. So this was March 26th. They just left Mike's place and uh, hiked into Paradise Valley Cafe, home to allegedly the best cheeseburger on the Pacific Crest Trail. And they got there in the morning and he sent me a text and he said, you know, we're Paradise Valley Cafe. I said, oh my gosh, you got to tell me about this cheeseburger. And uh, I didn't hear from him uh, until a few hours later. And I get a text from him that says, um, we're at 6,100 feet back in the snow. And uh, I didn't think anything of it. And it was probably 6.30 or 7 o'clock Dallas time. <clears throat> and we got a call from Trevor. He had phone service. And he said that he was at the Phobes Saddle Trail Junction, um, a Phobes Saddle and the PCT. He was at 166 and a half. Um, and that's where they, they had set up camp for the night. And he said, but it's snowing. He said, I am just so exhausted. Um, he said, I'm going to be really happy to get into Idlewild tomorrow. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, which was, uh, you know, what, probably another 17 miles away. And so we chatted and he sounded exhausted. He sounded tired. He and his team had done eight straight days of, of more than 20 miles. Uh, I encouraged him to take it slow at first, but of course he jumps right into 20 mile days right out of the chute. And he sounded exhausted, but he sounded relieved that he was going to get into Idlewild the next day, which is where his ice axe and micro spikes were waiting for him at the post office. And um, my wife was fortunately there with me that night. She spoke to him. We told him that we loved him, have a safe trip into Idlewild, and um, sadly, that was the last we'd ever heard his voice. So what, it, what happened, uh, March 27th, they wake up and it, uh, there's probably three or four inches of fresh powder on, this, on the ground. Um, and the wind was gusty. The, the conditions were not great. And they, they you know, they were always, their, their, their plan was we are going to be, um, we're going to leave uh, camp every morning by eight o'clock, no matter what. So they were up early, they started hiking and they came to the junction of Spitler Peak Trail. Now the significance of Spitler Peak Trail is from 2013 to 2017, everything north of Spitler Peak Trail between Spitler Peak and Idlewild was closed because of forest mm -hmm. fires. Um, and in 2016, uh, the Spitler Peak sign that alerted hikers um, that this was the last bailout point um, uh, between there and Idlewild, that uh, hazardous trail conditions were ahead and that people who were inexperienced should, should uh, bail out there, hike down to the trailhead and either roadwalk or hitchhike into Idlewild. And uh, that sign burnt down in 2016 and was never replaced. So they climb up to Apache Peak. There's about 200 feet between themselves and the peak. And all of a sudden, the trail takes a hard 90-degree turn, cuts into the slope of the mountain. So everything is very flat now. It wraps around the northeast-facing um, slope of Apache, which was covered with snow 
And because it was a northeast facing slope, it didn't get much sun during the day. And what little sun that it did get, the snow would melt and then refreeze at night and melt and refreeze day after day after day. And then the, the fresh powder on top of it made the, the ice invisible to them. And Trevor, they were walking single file. Trevor was um, second in line, about 50 feet apart from each other. Uh, the gentleman in front of him, the gentleman's name of Yannick, who was from Germany, uh, he was the lightest of all the hikers. He made it through without a, without a problem. And then all of a sudden, Trevor slipped, uh, caught his balance for a moment, then slipped again, fell down on his stomach, um, feet, feet facing down slope. And for a moment, it looked like he was going to catch himself um, and then started sliding. And there was just nothing uh, to stop right. him. And he started uh, tumbling head over heel and pinballing off of some big boulders and ultimately uh, fell a total of 600 feet. Um, and so the two gentlemen that he was with, Yannick and the other gentleman, Cody, uh, from Australia, tried hollering out to him. Uh, he didn't respond. They tried calling him on his phone. He did not respond. They finally called search and rescue, so took search and rescue about an hour to get there. Once they got there, Cody and Yannick were in shock. They were feared, fearful for their life that the same thing could happen to them. Fortunately, they had some um, uh, something in their pack, some rope um, and um, or paracord or what have you, and they tied themselves to the closest tree. Um, and by the time search and rescue was able to get to um, to Trevor, he had already succumbed to his mm -hmm. injuries. Um, hardest day of my life. With I, I wish I, I could properly describe it, but I can't. Um, it's such a tragedy, and, you know, I hate to say it, but you've, you, we, as hikers, we hear about these things happening sometimes. And uh, I got to say, hearing it, from somebody, hearing it from someone who's so obviously involved with the individual, uh, it's hard, man. It's hard, so... I don't even know what to say. I, I just, yeah. I'm glad you're able to share the story and uh, what we're going to be getting into now is the takeaways, obviously. Um, because as I said at the beginning, you know, it doesn't matter how experienced you are. You always got to keep your guard up. And um, unfortunately, and also fortunately, these kinds of stories are, you know, a, a good reminder um, that uh, things can go wrong. Uh, real quick before we get into that stuff, I'm, I'm just curious because I'm not at all really familiar with um, the PCT. Were the snowy conditions that they were hiking through uh, normal for that time of year in that section of the trailer? Are you, do, do you know if that's the case? It 100% is, at least in the section that they were in. So you, you have to understand that most inexperienced PCT through hikers, when they, when they get on trail, they think the first 700 miles are just desert. And while they're right, there's a big chunk of that first 700 miles that are hot, blazing hot desert. You have to understand and keep in mind that there's also high desert. And so the San Jacinto mountain range that Trevor was in, San Jacinto Peak is up over 10,000 feet. 
Um, and so when you're up that high, especially during the early hiking season, and for PCT start dates, March 16th is considered a very early start mm -hmm. date. Um, yeah, you can run into, into, into bad weather without even thinking twice. But the, 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 you know, somebody could say, oh yeah, 2017 was a terrible year, um, for the desert section, fire and ice. And I was hiking through, you know, feet of snow and the St. Jacks and, and Mount Baden Powell and, and other places. And then others a year later say, oh, it was perfectly fine for me. So it's all, it's all relative. But um, the area that he was in, uh, I've had people who have who are triple crowners, uh, people who have hiked the PCT tell me that um, when when there is snow and ice on San Jacinto, uh, really going from Apache Peak all the way through Fuller Ridge and beyond, and uh, that which is what, probably about 40 miles, that it's some of the most dangerous terrain on the whole trail. And that includes the Sierra, includes the Cascades, mm -hmm. Goat Rocks Wilderness. So it can be very, very dangerous for sure. I gotcha. I gotcha. I think, uh, I think now we're going to go through a list of, well, I guess on my notes here, it's called Doug's Tips for a Safe Thru-Hike. Um, <laughs> these are some, yeah, some takeaways. I don't even, even want to call them takeaways because... Uh, they're not all, you know, directly related to to what happened to Trevor, but um, they're all, you know, some of them certainly are, and you know, they're all just important things to keep in mind. And just for everybody listening, I hate to sound like like a high school teacher here, like in just like lecture, but a lot of this stuff is probably going to be things that you've heard before. A lot of this stuff might be things that you've kind of seen written in places and brushed off and the only reason i'm saying this is because i tend to do this when i see lists of uh advice like this um but i really want you to like think about this stuff like actually think about it don't just kind of skim it you know like like you might have in in the past you know think about these things think about them in the context of you know the tragedy surrounding what happened to trevor um because this stuff is really important and i feel like you know, as somebody who somehow captures people's attention on a regular basis, you know, with hiking related content, uh, it's just a good, it's just a good thing for, for me to use this platform to remind folks of, of this stuff as well. So, um, Doug, I don't know if we're going to be able to get through every single point here, but, um, I'm going to start by just picking out a couple ones that jump out to me and we'll see how far we get before we kind of move on sure. to the last, uh, the last segment. So Doug's tips for a safe through hike. Um, this first one right here, I think is really important. Um, I'll just kind of read the title and you can kind of pick it up from there. So, uh, you just, you, you called it weight slash gear and essentially never cutting weight from your pack at the expense of safety. This is something I think is so important as I dabble with the, uh, the ultralight, uh, thing that everybody probably knows about at this point. Um, Sometimes it is a fine line between, you know, keeping your gear light enough that it's going to be, you know, actually safer for you because you're carrying less weight on your back, less chances of falling, less chances of injury, and potentially cutting out something that you actually do need to carry with you um, in spite of the weight of that item. So can you just kind of uh, talk about this point a little bit more, <clears throat> Doug? No, absolutely. It, you know, Kyle, I think it's important to understand that 
Trevor is a lot like probably many of your followers. He was 22 years old. He was in the shape of his life. He uh, weight trained three to four times a week. He ran 30 miles a week. He did mental preparation. I mean, he was in great shape. But when I wanted to talk to him about safety before he left, because that's important mm-hmm. to me, um, he, he had no interest in talking about that because he thought that he was invincible. So I think it's important when we talk about weight and gear, um, you know, hikers are looking to shave ounces, not pounds. And that Trevor and I, when we were planning his hike, that was no, no, um, that was no different for us. And I think that we got caught up in trying to get his, his pack weight down to what we would consider to be ultra light. I think he, um, we finally got it down to about 11 and a half pounds and that was the lowest that we were comfortable mm-hmm. going. Um, but at the same time, when you're so focused about what you need to take out of your pack, you're not focusing about things that need to go in your pack to keep you safe. Uh, Trevor had micro spikes and ice axe waiting for him in Idlewild, uh, 13 miles ahead, but it didn't help him uh, on that day because he didn't have it. And when it comes to weight, a lot of people I see on these, um, you know, PCT Facebook groups say, hey, what's what's the best uh, ice axe for me to get? And my response is, you're asking the wrong question. That question comes secondary to, I need an ice axe, but I need to figure out how to Mm -hmm. use it. So it's not about just having the right gear, but it's knowing how to use it too. Definitely, definitely. So again, pardon my ignorance about the PCT, everybody, but um, is Idlewilds the like normal spot where people pick up the ice axe and the micro spikes? For a lot of people, it is, um, especially when that section that I referred to earlier was closed um, uh, because of the fire uh, fire closures. Um, so people would would simply hike in uh, or road walk into Idlewild or they'd, they'd catch a hitch. And that's, yes, that's where a lot of them would have their, their ice gear uh, shipped to. And that was, that was Trevor's plan. But um, what, what we failed to properly account for, what I did and what I take ownership of, because while it was Trevor's job to graduate from school early and get great grades, it was my job to, uh, to help make sure that um, – that he got through safely and I failed him from that standpoint. So, but yes, that's where a lot of hikers pick up their, their snow. Gotcha. I gotcha. Um, it's, it's a tricky, it's a tricky situation because in, in other tragic situations, it's always easy to point and say like, Oh, they should have had this, you know, they should have done this differently. Um, hearing this one, it's hard because, to me, at least, from what I just heard there, it doesn't really sound like he was doing something that was uh, blatantly against the conventional wisdom, I guess, of picking up that stuff. And It's not like he didn't have that stuff. It's just he just hadn't picked it up yet, and he was getting it in a spot that most people, it sounds like, would say would be a reasonable place to pick it up. Um, so... It's it's just it's but, I I don't know it's it's tough man it's tough it's tough for me to hear that and and you're 100 percent correct but the one thing that that and while I I can't even describe the love that I have for my son uh, the one the one uh, thing that I put on him is I saw photos uh, that search and rescue took of the accident site that day 
he was walking across what has been, been described to me two ways, either a minimum of a 45 degree slope or as much as a 60 degree slope, that the trail was cut into the, into the slope of the mountain, covered by snow, covered by ice. So you couldn't even see a trail. You were basically walking at an angle against the slope. Mm-hmm. He had no business being out there, Kyle, and that's what angers me more than anything. If he would have had his gear and and attempted it, it would have been one thing, but he made a really stupid decision by going across there without his mm-hmm. gear. And and it's something that I have to own. It's not something that I'm happy about, but that's, um, you know, when you're 22, you're in the shape of your life and you feel that you're invincible. I'm sure that he felt that, oh, well, if I fall, I can stop myself or use my trekking poles to stop myself. And that just wasn't the case. Right. Right. Um, and I think this kind of ties into the next one I'm going to bring up here. Uh, the next, the next point on your list, um, which you called event horizon. Um, and essentially I think what it kind of boils down to is exactly what you just said. Uh, exercising good risk management, um, and, you know, being willing to maybe kind of put, I don't even want to say put the ego aside, because that's certainly the case in some situations, but not all of them. Um, just being willing to, uh, you know, you know, find an alternative or something like that. Um, do you mind elaborating a little bit more on what you meant by this point, um, Event Horizon? Yeah, so the Event Horizon is an astrological term. And it has to do with black holes. So with a black hole, once you get caught into the gravitational pull of a black hole or, or a particle or whatever it might be, it, you can't escape it. There's nothing on the planet, nothing on Earth, nothing in the galaxy that can stop the particle from being pulled in into the black hole. And that moment in which that gravitational pull gets a hold of that particle is called the event horizon, meaning once you get in, there's nothing you can do to, to stop it. And, and so I liken that. And there was a, a gentleman, a PCT hiker by the name of Felipe, Felipe Sanchez, who, who shared that term with me. And I thought that it was incredible because so many times you don't know you're in trouble until you're in trouble. And once you're in trouble, there's very little that you can do to escape mm-hmm. it. And so that's why I, I talk about you have to make good, solid, sound decisions. You have to exercise good risk management skills and that you have to make the decisions that are in the best interest of yourself, not in your family or your trail family. Uh, you have to make the best interest uh, for yourself and for your safety and for your family. And, um, and so when I talk about the event horizon, you need to make sure that you can assess this, the situation before you find yourself in the right. situation, if that makes that sense. That makes a lot of sense, and I'm glad you kind of clarified that there because uh, that does go a step beyond kind of what I, I prefaced that by saying. Um, and it, it does make a lot of sense, and as obviously someone who does a lot of hiking, I, I, can, I, I see exactly what you mean by that because um, fortunately I've never really found myself in a, uh, obviously not, similar situation but even something that i would say i was like really close to having any sort of like bad um you know injury or certainly a fatality or anything like that um but even then i can still see you know the the some of the sketchy situations i have found myself in 
you're right. It's not like most of the time you don't see it happening until it's happening. Um, so I think that's yep. something that's that's really important to keep in mind. Um, this next one, um, just you know, from hearing you tell the story uh, leading up to the accident, it sounds like you and Trevor, not just you, your whole, um, you know, multiple people. Um, there was a whole a whole line of communication um, between you guys and Trevor. Um, so this next point, uh, you just have safety planning. Um, and it, it kind of revolves around communicating with loved ones. Um, how can that aid in your safety when you're out on a through hike? Yeah, so unlike the Appalachian Trail where you may be in a town every couple, three days, when you're out on the PCT, it could be a week or more before you, you make it into the next trail town. And so when I talk about uh, safety planning, it's about making sure that you communicate with your family that I, you know, I may go off grid for a couple days, but at minimum, whether it be through my Garmin inReach or my spot device or whatever it is, uh, I will ping you, I will text you, I will in some way let you know that, that I am safe. And, and what I refer to it as is that, you know, after X number of days, if you've not heard from me in 72 hours, that means something is, is wrong. And that's when you need to call for help. Mm-hmm. And that was a conversation that Trevor did not want to have with us. He was this invincible 22-year-old kid. Um, Sally Fowler is a mother to uh, a gentleman by the name of Chris Fowler, hiker named Sherpa, in 2016 disappeared 200 miles from Canada in 2016. Um, And I guess the bottom line, and she was the one who encouraged me and other hikers uh, to incorporate that safety plan, because if you if you just disappear for a few days, the the tendency of a search and rescue or a sheriff's department when you call and say, oh, my son's or daughter's missing, they're going to say, well, how long? Uh, well, they've been gone for 96 hours. Well, that's only four days. Let's give them another four or five days and see if they turn up. I'm sure everything's fine. Um, and at least if you have a plan in place and say, if you don't hear from me and 72 or 96 hours or whatever the, the number is, you know that I'm that I need help and, and call for help. But my commitment to you is that I'm going to touch base with you at least, you know, every 48, 72 hours, whatever the the, the number is, either with my phone or with my uh, my my inReach device. Mm-hmm. Definitely makes sense. Um, this next one is about research and. I think this this one in particular is interesting to me because from my understanding, the research that you need to do on the PCT and other trails for that matter, um, not just the PCT, but compared to the AT, it seems like there is a decent amount more of research you have to do in terms of like water, weather, resupply, just fires, all this stuff. Um, and I think it's good that you included a section, a point on... Uh, the research involved with the PCT. So can you just kind of talk about that a little bit and again, how that can aid uh, in keeping you safe while you're out there? Sure. So I think it's, under, you know, it's understandable that when uh, a lot of people, especially those who have not through hiked before decide that they're going to, to through hike the PCT and Trevor was no different. He kind of made that decision, you know, about not, uh, nine or 10 months uh, ahead of time. And so uh, I really started buying into this once I started watching 
you know, vloggers, you know, like Darwin and Dixie and Ivy Tat and others who had, who had hiked the trail, but I was only watching it from their perspective during the year that they hiked it. And, and some of those, uh, PCT, uh, through hiking vlogs that I watched, they didn't even cover the section of Trevor's accident because it was closed. So I didn't even know about it. Um, and so I think that you need to be careful. So when I say research, you know, so when people followed your AT through hike, you know, they were fascinated by you. They followed it from start to finish. Um, and a lot of them do that the year before. So you get caught into this. Well, if it, if the trail conditions were this way last year, it must mean that they're going to be that way again right. this year. And that's just not true. So when I tell people research, research 10 years ago, research eight years ago, research the trail five years ago or three years ago, and that then that way you can get a really broad understanding of how the trail conditions can change and how difficult things can be. And had I done that, um, I think we would have probably discovered how dangerous Apache Peak really was. Mm-hmm. That's a great point. That's honestly, I hate to say it, but that's something I haven't really thought too much about. Um, again, maybe that's because here on the East Coast, the trail conditions are, generally speaking, a little bit easier to predict. Um, but sure. I, I think that's a great point. And that's as I prepare for a PCT hike at some point in the future, uh, that's something I'm definitely going to be keeping in mind um, because it is kind of unpredictable. It's it's pretty crazy. 100%. It's, it's they call the wilderness that way because it is That's wild right. and it is unforgiving. That's right, man. Yeah. Um, this next one, and this is one, I think it's good to kind of drive this one home. Honestly, uh, your your point is just simply making it home safe and how that should be your number one priority at all times. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, and. and- Quite frankly, I think that inherently that's what everyone's number one goal is. And I don't have to remind them about that. But a friend once told me that um, and and he he's uh, I think he's about 50 years old and in his early 30s, he tried to um, uh, through hike the Appalachian Trail and about five or six hundred miles in, I think. He had a pretty nasty fall, and I think he either broke his ankle or broke his leg. And he tells me that when he hikes now, he hikes every step uh, he takes with purpose. Every step he he is very deliberate that he takes. And he said, Doug, if you can't finish the section, you can't finish the trail. And I just thought that that was an amazing way of describing it, meaning that you can't get too far ahead of yourself about what lies in front of you. You have to be focused on the here and now about what's right in front of you at the moment. Um, so when I say, you know, your number one goal has to be making it home safely, I, I use that in the context of if you can't finish the section, you're not going to be able to fo- you know, finish the trail. So focus on what you're doing right now, today, in the mm-hmm. moment. Uh, I think that's awesome. Um, and also something that's been talked about before previously on the show, that's not just a good strategy in terms of uh, your safety, which it clearly is, but also just in terms of successfully completing the trail too. Um, that's, you know, one of the number one pieces of pieces of advice I've always given from folks. Um, one of the things I thought I was pretty successful with on the AT was just rather than thinking too far ahead, exactly taking it section by section. And I'm glad you kind of 
um, tied that back into safety because I hadn't really thought about it that way um, as much as I had in terms of just, uh, you know, being successful and reaching your goal. So uh, I think that's really awesome, Doug. Um, So this next point here, uh, and this is something I'm curious to hear about, to be honest, because uh, it's about emergency beacons and GPS devices and stuff. Um, I personally have not really ever carried either one of those things though. I've, I've, I, I've always been like kind of in the back of my mind, like known I should, I've never advocated for not carrying one certainly. Um, and in fact, it's, uh, I, I remember having a couple conversations with my parents before I left for the AT talking about potentially getting one of these things. Um, and we just never ended up doing it for whatever reason. Um, but certainly that i don't know if that was the right choice necessarily so why don't you go ahead and talk about yeah the emergency beacons uh gps's and you know how those can help keep you safe sure and i i know a lot of your listeners are probably going to say duh yeah. right of yeah. course <laughs> we, you, you need to carry that but in trevor's situation uh, something unique uh happened with him that i wanted to share with the audience that i think is is incredibly powerful So Trevor had a Garmin inReach Mini, and he was so focused and so worried that um, when he would need the device, if if he would ever need the device, his worst-case scenario, his nightmare scenario, would be that that it was out of juice, that it had no batteries. So Trevor's thought process was, well, I'm going to turn the GPS off. I'm going to keep it powered down. And if I stop for lunch, I'll turn it on. I'll ping my location to you guys so you know where I'm at. When I get to my tent uh, or campsite at night, I'll ping my location there. And if I don't have cell service, I'll keep it on and we can text back and forth. Otherwise, I'm going to turn it off. I mean, because after all, worst case scenario, what happens, right? You, You fall, you break your leg, you reach over to your right shoulder, you power the device on, you hit your SOS. In Trevor's situation, this would have made no difference to his circumstance. Mm-hmm. Um, but my point being is that these GPS devices, these emergency beacons are meant that you can set them up to ping your location every 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes, whatever frequency you want to do it on. Now, the more frequently you do it, the, the more rapid your, your battery goes down. But the, the key thing there is in Trevor's case, had he been hiking alone, and he was a very confident hiker. He would have had no problems at all hiking mm-hmm. alone. And he would have fell to the bottom of this um, this uh, ice chute, this ravine. Um, we would be out in Southern California trying to find him right now. Mm-hmm. Much like David O'Sullivan, who went missing off the PCT near Idlewild in 2017, and Chris Sherpa Fowler, who went missing in 2016, neither one of them had G- GPS devices. And the GPS device that was supposed to keep Trevor alive and get help or at worst case scenario, ping our location so we could find him was turned mm-hmm. off. So even if had even if he had fallen down the ravine, the ice chute, he died, you know, from his injuries, we would have still been able to locate him because his, his GPS would have continued to ping. And so when I say make sure you carry your, your emergency beacon, I followed up with almost more importantly, Keep it powered on and make sure that you have it set to ping your coordinates, you know, at least every 20 minutes mm-hmm. or so. 
Um, the other the other thing from a GPS standpoint, when I say GPS, I'm referring to apps like Guthook or what have you. Um, David O'Sullivan, when he went missing in 2017, he did not. He had a, a cell phone with him, but he did not have um, the Guthook app. He was using paper maps. And um, it is suspected that he may have gone missing because he lost his way due to potentially poor signage. Mm-hmm. At least if he had had his GPS coordinates, um, all trails or Gaia or whatever it was, he could have likely got himself you know, back onto the main trail and potentially not have gotten himself into a bad scenario, assuming that that's what happened. Um, but make sure you carry your beacon, keep it powered on, ping your coordinates every 20 minutes. And even though you may want to unplug from society, get away from technology, I'm going to do it old school with a map and compass. That's fine. But keep that. Make sure you, you have both. Ideally, you should have you should always have both. And it's kind of interesting to hear 100%. you to hear you say that, because so often you'll hear folks say um kind of the opposite they'll say like oh you should be more reliant on the paper map you know don't rely on the cell phone um rather than the other way around so i think you know most people would agree you you really should have unless you like literally don't know how to use a cell phone and you're not going to carry it anyway if that's the case (laughs) fine but ideally you you should have both and you should know how to use both definitely yeah um i kind of want to get into this last little section here doug um trevor's legacy so i'm gonna let you do most of the heavy lifting here um obviously so you know these i guess you could call these takeaways as well but they're not quite you know as as literal safety i mean i guess they kind of are i don't know i'm just gonna butcher this so um let's just go through some of these here um this first one and we had talked a little bit about this on the phone before the interview a few days ago and i thought this was a, a really cool uh, a really interesting thought anyways. Um, you had some, you had a, a, an, int- an interesting take on the term hike your own hike. Can you kind of talk about that a little bit and maybe how it kind of relates to the broader theme of say uh, peer pressure from other folks you're hiking with uh, while you're on a through hike? Sure. Yeah. And so I think that um, listeners who are more familiar with or have hiked the PCT can appreciate this um, perhaps more so than, than your AT followers. And the reason is this, is that I think you even said it yourself a few minutes ago that, that the AT um, is, is not, does not have the dangers. Don't, don't, don't misunderstand me. It can be dangerous at times, but when you're at, you know, 14,000 feet, uh, it's significantly higher. The terrain is significantly worse. The rivers that you have to ford in the Sierra are far more uh, significant and dangerous. And so when I say hike your own hike, I, I, I speak to it in the term of, of you know, your hiking tramley peer pressure. Because when, you're, when you leave Kennedy Meadows and you hike into the Sierra, most people will wait until they can get a large group together. They think there's safety in numbers. Well, what happens when you get to that first sketchy situation? What happens the first time you get um, to the section where you have to traverse across to get up and over forest or pass? You know, your trail family, the confident ones, might say, oh, oh you can do it, Trevor. Come on, you can do it. We can make it. Of course we can make it. You know, um, you know, 
get some balls, man. We can do this. And and so I think there there is an inherent peer pressure when you're when you're hiking with with a with a trail family, and that a you don't want to you know lose connection right. with them. You've you've established this bond with them over days or weeks or whatever the case might be. Number two, that that peer pressure is real. And you don't want to get separated from them. So what do you do? So you do something that you probably shouldn't. Instead, when I say hike your own hike, do do what you feel that you need to do. Even if that means I'm going to backtrack 10 miles to to the nearest side trail and hike down, and I'll find a way to to take an alternate and get around this. Mm-hmm. Um, the bottom line is you have to make decisions that are your decisions, not decisions that are for the group. It's not your group's family who's going to have to worry about your funeral if, if, if something bad happens. And I'm not, by, by no stretch am I putting this burden on the trail family course, that Trevor was with. Trevor, Trevor made his own, his own decision, and it was a bad one. But I think when you say hike your own hike, you have to make decisions for you. You have to understand, you have to assess the trail conditions ahead of you. You have to understand your skill set and whether or not your skill set is commensurate with the trail conditions in front of you. And if you've done that proper assessment, if you've made good judgment and then you decide to go through, at least you methodically made the decision for you, not for anybody mm-hmm. else. So when we talk about hike your own hike, that's when that's how I, I, I liken it um, to that scenario. I think that's so important. And. I think it's such an interesting take on it because I can say from my experience, I wasn't even hiking with a, a large group of people or anything, but I was hiking with a few other people on the AT and I can easily see how somebody could be sucked into this situation, maybe doing something they probably shouldn't be doing um, and making that decision for themselves uh, just due to the situation, not even again, not, not even due to the other people, but just because of the, the situation that has kind of arisen because of the fact that they're hiking with the other people. So I think that's so important uh, to remember everybody. And honestly, something that I probably should have thought about more before I went out and, and, and not even necessarily, and you touched on this a little bit, but not even necessarily in the, in the extreme situation of something concerning your safety. It could even be just something as mild as, you know, just some making decisions for you that are going to result in, uh, more success on your hike because you weren't necessarily following other people. And again, it's it's so hard because people don't, you know, not always, for the most part, or for a lot of people, I will say, um, they want to have that social experience. They do. 100%. And I, I definitely recall, you know, coming across hikers who were hiking at a pace they weren't comfortable with either slower or, f- or faster, but even slower, sure. I think was more often the case. Um, they were, yeah, they were hiking slower than maybe they wanted to just because they were tr- like so dead set on staying with the people that they were with. And um, it is, well, I think, you know, catching a hitch is a perfect example. You know, is it the smart move to get in, in the car with that person when you, when your gut just tells you no, or maybe, you see a couple empty beer bottles sitting on the you know mm-hmm. the front seat or whatever. I mean that might be something that that is a likely scenario. It could come in any any form, mm-hmm. and I think you just need to make your own good decisions. And you know, good, 
Somebody once told me that good judgment comes from experience, but experience comes from bad judgment. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so it's the, it's the chicken and the egg scenario. And I think in that particular um, situation, you, you just have to assess the situation, go with what your gut says, go with what you've been trained to do. You've done your research, you've, you've put in your preparation, you know, exercise all that good decision-making and judgment at, at the point that it, in, in time you come across it. And the other thing is, is when your dad tells you, let's talk about a safety plan, my God, let's, let's talk about a safety plan. We're not doing it because I've, I've, had perfect judgment throughout my life. I've done it because I've had experiences where I've made bad decisions and I've had bad judgment. Learn from my mistakes. Don't learn from your own type mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. You know, for a while now, I've been kind of sitting on a video idea about the term hike your own hike because I feel like it's, it's so like, I don't even know, over then it is overused but i feel like it, it's so overused and so common now that it almost doesn't even mean anything anymore um, sure i agree 100%. i think and i think most people would agree with that um and that's not to say that at its at its core it's not valid but i just think it's just due to the nature of <laughs> how often people use it maybe situations that people apply it when they maybe they shouldn't i just feel like it's kind of lost um, in, in practicality, it's kind of lost a lot of its meaning, but anyways, um, that's a whole other discussion. Um, and yeah. I, I'm, I'm really glad that Doug, this is a lot of, a lot of this stuff we're talking about right now really hasn't been talked about on the show before. Um, certainly I've never talked about, you know, maybe the pressure that you can feel from other hikers sometimes, um, or even the pressure you mm -hmm. apply to yourself because of other hikers. Um, sure. so I, I think it's, it's. I, I'm really glad we're having this this conversation. So this last part here, um, risk management, and we did talk about this a little bit, but I, I have a feeling you have some more thoughts on it um, and how it relates to Trevor's legacy, you know, some of the things that you've learned. Can you kind of talk about this a little bit? Yeah, so when – let's just say that uh, – and, and we'll use uh, Mount Whitney for, for an example in the PCT. So – 14,500 feet up. Not to, that's not precise, but um, you get to the top of this beautiful mountain peak. You're at the top of Forester Pass. You're at Knife's Edge in Goat Rocks Wilderness, wherever it is. And you look out over the landscape and you see all this beauty. And you feel that you're at the top of the world, right? You're, you're looking at, at what Trevor des described as the soul of the planet. My argument would be that the very first thing that you should do when you get up there, as opposed to soaking in the beauty that you're looking at, is ask yourself the question, did I make smart decisions to get here? And if the answer is yes, you made smart decisions to get here, then it's a win-win all the way around. Mm -hmm. But if you're truthful with yourself and you were to answer that you know, question with, no, not really, I, I probably shouldn't have done that, and I'd be willing to bet that every listener on this show probably has, has probably come across the time when they did something that they know that they shouldn't have done, that it wasn't a win. And, the re and here's why. is because while the dumb decision that you made today produced, uh, produced a good outcome, it enables you to continue making bad mm -hmm. decisions. Mm -hmm. And today's success may be tomorrow's funeral. And so when I say... Um, you know, make smart decisions. 
I, I, that should be part of your risk management process, your root cause analysis, if you will, when you're at the top of that mountain. Did I make good decisions today? And if the answer is yes, fantastic. Let's, let's incorporate more good decisions tomorrow. But if you said no, I think you need to, to reevaluate, your, reevaluate your priorities in life. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that 100%. Um, Doug, we're, we're kind of getting towards the end here. Uh, I'm, I've been, I, I thought of this, this question pretty early on into the conversation, and I'm kind of having a hard time figuring out how I should word it. So I'm just going to go for it. And if it comes out as just nonsense, then forgive me. But, um, or if it just sounds dumb. Um, maybe it won't be that bad. I guess it's hard. I, it's, it sounds like from what you said today a little bit, um, it, it sounds like Trevor was, I guess, not really thinking about a lot of the risks, a lot of the things that maybe you have wished and were trying to get him to think about. Um, with, with that said, how do you think that he would view um, what you're doing today? Kind of the the uh, mission it seems like you've taken up since the accident. Uh, what 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 do you think he would be? Um, yeah, what what do you think his his view on that would be? Um, on his his father taking such a tragic circumstance and trying to use it in a way that's going to result in positivity for other hikers that are kind of following in his footsteps. Um, if I could talk to him today, I think that he would, uh, he'd own his decision. He, he took accountability for his life and for decisions that he made. He probably apologized to us for, for putting himself into that situation. The last thing, the very last thing that I said to him, uh, we had, my daughter and I had, had flown out to Phoenix with him before he left for trail. That's where my, my parents lived, and we stayed with them about four or five days. And, and my daughter and I flew back home, and, and they took him into the terminus. But the very last thing uh, that I said to him was, make smart decisions. Come home safely. I love you. And um, whew, mm-hmm. I wasn't expecting to. <laughs> to uh, get caught up in this, Kyle. Damn it. <laughs> um, but um, I just can't, can't envision a world in which something so tragic can't have something positive that comes from it. Mm-hmm. And his death cannot be in vain. And had he had he entered onto this hike and I was not as invested into it, like I said, for, for the almost nine or ten months, three three hours a day, two, three hours a day, every day, that's all I did mm-hmm. was watch, listen to hiking podcasts, watch blogs, gear reviews. And I think I wanted this as much for, for him as he wanted it for himself. And I, and I developed this affinity for the hiking community in doing so. And then getting out with him and doing his, 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 um, training hikes. Um, if something would happen to another hiker that happened to Trevor and I did nothing 
to try to prevent it, I wouldn't be able to live with myself. Mm-hmm. And this is the only way I know how to honor my son. And I hope that my, my message does not become white noise. I hope that people don't think of me as a lecturing dad or, as you said, a lecturing school teacher. Um, this shit is real. Yeah, it is. It is. It is so totally, totally real. And you, you just don't think about it until it until it hits home. And so what I'm trying to do is just use Trevor's story as a cautionary tale to make sure that people go home to their to their families at the end of their hike. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think he'd be pretty he'd be pretty proud of me. I think he would be too. That's, you know, obviously I didn't know him, but uh, uh, just you would you two would have loved. That's kind of what I was he, thinking he was too. I'm not going to lie. Computer scientist <laughs> as well. That's right. That's right. Trevor was a really uh. A really talented and uh, beyond me uh, certainly uh, really talented a uh, computer programmer it sounds like because uh, he had a had a job yeah. had a job lined up at microsoft which is a uh, which yeah. is incredible and that was his trail name by the way we i i forgot to i forgot to work that in um doug i think we're gonna kind of wrap it up here um once again i i'm very thankful to to have had this uh, conversation with you um, not only to share it with everybody, but also just for me personally, because, um, it's, it's, it's a good reminder. Uh, I'd like to think that I have always been pretty cautious in terms of, you know, keeping myself safe out there. Um, not only because I've never found myself in any really bad situations, but I, I feel like on average, I've always been a little bit more pro proactive about that stuff. Um, than maybe some of the people that I've met on my hikes, but um, it's always a good reminder nonetheless. And uh, I mean, I'm sure you've heard this a thousand times at this point, but uh, I I think, you know, myself and I think just about everybody who's heard this episode at this point is thankful that you're willing to talk about this stuff, to share the story and to, to help people learn from it because... Um, you know, you just said that, you know, you wouldn't be able to live with yourself if you weren't coming on here and, and trying to to make something out of what happened. Um, but I have a feeling yeah. that there's also folks out there who might not be able to do that um, if they were in your shoes. And so I admire the uh, the strength it takes. I admire the courage. And I'm just very thankful that you're willing to do this. I'm thankful to have had this conversation. So thank you so much, Doug. I really appreciate it. I appreciate the platform. Thank you so much, Kyle. Um, are there any other resources that you want to kind of direct people to um, beyond what we just talked about today? Any Anything? Basically, so at the end of these episodes, I always give people a chance to plug their social media or link to anything. I can put it in the show notes. Is there any, you know, where would you like to, to send people next? Well, they can, yeah, so they can um, reach out to me on, on Instagram at Doug... Um, Doug hyphen Lair. Um, I'm trying to other resources um, other than driving people to other podcasts, and I don't want oh, to do that good, either. Man. I don't care. Yeah, I'm not making any money. But from this. Um, uh, there, and if you if and if nothing else, if you just want to put a link, uh, I can send you a, a link. There is a, there is a. A uh, magazine in California. It's a West Coast-based magazine called Ulta Magazine. It's supposed to be the West Coast version of the New Yorker. 
Um, back in June, a freelance uh, writer called me up out of the blue one Saturday night and said, hey, I read this article on the track. That would be another good resource. Mm-hmm. I read the article on the track, and I'm fascinated by Trevor's story. I'd like to do an, an, a full-blown expose article on Trevor's story. So she interviewed, oh, I would guess 50 or 60 people out on trail, um, outfitter stores, people that he met on trail that I've never even known mm-hmm. about. And so she did all kinds of interviews, spent hundreds of hours writing this, and it was just released um, last week. So I can say it's an open source article. I can send you the link if that'd be that'd something be awesome. that you'd want to put in the show notes. And um, yeah, and then um, I and I don't. When do you think you'll have this out? You know, I'm not exactly sure yet, but sometime within the next like two to uh, hopefully. I, I'm not sure yet. I, I I I can't give you an answer right now. Um, sorry. Yeah, and that's <laughs> it'll fine. be. It's not um, going to be like months and months and months. So it'll be within the next month, sure. hopefully, at the most. Yeah, and and I love that because I think the timing of it is absolutely perfect for um, uh, for people getting ready to start the uh, – for the PCT, it'll be perfect timing. For people who are doing the AT, that, you know, there a lot of them are starting in, in, in early March. But um, I think this will be, be perfect timing. But the reason that I asked is that um, I did a, an article that is going to be published tomorrow, I believe, on the PCTA website. It's one of their blog posts, um, and it just—it's kind of a condensed version of the Trek article, written in narrative form with some of the tips that I had, that I had highlighted on that page. So we, you could direct them there as well. Um, I, there, there are a lot of things that I've got in the pipeline, Kyle, and I, boy, I tell you, I wish I, my mind is exploding with with ideas and opportunities. I'm trying to network with gear companies and foundations. And uh, I'm, I'm trying to work with a video production company to come out with a uh, you know public service announcement, safety video type mm-hmm. thing. Uh, so I've got lots of things, but nothing uh, on the cooker that's just, that's ready just yet. It's all good. Um, I will have a link to some of those resources in the show notes. Uh, I think I'll probably link the track article because that was really good. Um, and some of that other stuff. So, Doug, thank you again. Thank you to everybody listening. Um, I think we're going to leave it there. Uh, Take care, everybody. Be safe out there. And, yeah, have a good one.